This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I'll say good morning to everyone here, especially our visitors. If you consider yourself a visitor, we're delighted to have you this morning and hopefully you feel welcome and I'm just glad that you're with us. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at pride. That's what we're going to consider. And I won't speak for, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I have a, an inkling that this is probably something that we all deal with or have dealt with at some point to some degree in our lives. It's a tool that Satan uses. And when you look at that word, when I flash that up there this morning, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it might be, you know, this monthly celebration that the the world has now that tries to convince us we need to celebrate this thing. That is not what we're going to talk about this morning, other than the fact that pride is anything but something to be celebrated. This is one of, it's a despicable thing. It's one of Satan's greatest assets, and it should not be something we should be celebrating in pride in anything. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone? Let's just say you had an opinion, they had a difference of opinion. Have you ever had that? probably all have. We've had an argument with somebody. Have you ever had a method, a way of doing something, maybe something as simple as a recipe or some thing that you've discovered, this way of doing this thing, that's the best way, and I am completely convinced that is the best way to do this certain thing. How does that make you look when somebody else has a different opinion? Maybe they've done a lot of trial and error, and they feel like, no, this is the best way to do it. Well, what happens is you begin looking at that person very easily as, well, my idea is better, because really when you have an argument and you say my idea is better, that's what you're saying. My idea is better. I'm right and you're wrong. My ways are better than yours. My ways are higher than your ways. Now, that idea sounds familiar, doesn't it? Didn't somebody else say that? Well, of course, God says it. Isaiah 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, God has exclusive rights to this, this statement here. His ways are higher than our ways. Our ways are not higher, certainly than His, and not higher than someone else when we get into the realm of opinion. You know, only one grandma can have the best cookies. Uh, you know, we don't want to, you know, get embroiled in that in opinion because it's just opinion. Proverbs 3 and 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, no matter how passionate our opinion is, it's exactly that. It's an opinion. And we can never lose perspective that, that somehow our opinion is, is God's, God's word. Our opinion will never save anybody. What will save somebody is God's truth. And so what the devil does is he tries to take these opinions that we have, and we all have very strong opinions. I know in this room there are a lot 
of very passionate beliefs in this room from anything from how we educate our kids to politics is a big one, vaccines, mask mandates, whether you're gonna have an animal living in your house with you, the type of diet you, you partake in, uh, the brand of merchandise, the list goes on and on all these opinions and we get very passionate about those things. But pride sits right there at the door. Satan is waiting to take pride and play on those passions that we interject and get us to interject those opinions as part of this word here. And that's where we go wrong, where we lose sight of that difference that somehow we meld our opinions uh, into, an, into God's word and present it that way. Remember, God has exclusive rights. My ways are higher than your ways. As a backdrop for this, this study this morning, I came up with this little graphic here because when we get puffed up with pride, we take in a lot of hot air and we start to rise up like a hot air balloon with the message that reads, my ways are higher than your ways. We spend so much of our energy and time in the realm of opinion, you know, developing that opinion, feeding that opinion, promoting it, preaching it, that it begins to come to as my truth. This is the truth. When in fact, well, if it doesn't agree with God 100%, well, it's not, it's just an opinion. And when we start feeding all that hot air into our mind, we go up, up and away, and, and then we're up in the clouds. And it's real hard to level with people when you're floating up above them. If, if our way and our mind is better, higher than yours, well, you're talking down to them constantly. It leaves us floating above others, and if you're, you know, we take the attitude, well, if you're not on board with this, with this thing, well, you're below me, because you're not on board with the way I think. Romans 12 and verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, this is everyone, no, so nobody is exempt here, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so that's the question of the morning. How do I think of myself? Do I think more highly of myself than I should? And if we're proud, then the answer is yes, we do think more highly of ourselves than we should. And before we delve into this any further, you know, we hear a lot about, about I'm proud of something. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of my child. I'm proud that I, I'm really proud of myself that I did that. That's more of an English language type thing because we should feel good. Like if our child does something good, we should feel a sense of accomplishment. I and mean, I'm proud in that sense that we chose to be here to worship God this morning. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is if we look at that like, well, I'm proud that I came to church and I passed all those other losers out there that didn't want to come. Or my kid, he was the best and, you know, those chumps couldn't even match him. That's the kind of pride where we're putting ourselves above others, where we have a haughty spirit. If you look at the Greek for being proud, it's derived from the Greek word Hyperophanos, which means showing oneself above others, overestimating one's merits, despising others, or even treating them with contempt, haughty. So 
don't beat yourself up if you've ever said, well, I'm proud of my, my kid for doing this. However, if it was at the expense, if it was a haughty type thing, then you know, let, the, let the beating continue because we don't want to be, to be haughty. But pride, is pride in its very nature is deceptive. It is a lie. It puts us in an alternate reality where we're better than someone else. And potentially, it puts us in the place of God where we're making, again, these opinions, this is the word of God. And so it's no surprise that Satan, it's one of his greatest tools against us, is to use pride against us. And it's set pride, as we're going to see, as a divider. It divides God from his people and it divides us from each other. 1 John 2 and 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so simply put, you know, these things are of the world, not of God. They separate us from God when we take these things into our life. And the fleshly desires, these lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that leads us to sin. We follow those things separated from God from sin, but then the pride is the mindset, this arrogance that blinds us that this is against God's uh, word. He doesn't want us doing these things. And... Again, it, pride makes us live in this alternate reality. And it's it, pride has divided man and God, and it's plagued mankind since the Garden of Eden, Eden. And so pride certainly should not be something we celebrate at all in any regard. So I want to look at the, the beginning of pride. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, I want to look at the first six verses there. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree, it is good for, for food, and that it is pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And see, how, see what Satan did there? He got to the woman through lust and through pride. He got her thinking, you know, I bet that tree, that fruit tastes good, lust of the flesh. And it, it does look good, lust of the eyes. And if I eat it, I'm going to be wise like a god, pride. And see what, what Satan did there. And then we know the, the rest of the story. She gives it to her husband. He eats. And then when they get called out on it, either by embarrassment, pride, or, or maybe both, uh, Adam is like, well, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault. And then she blames the serpent. But in that example there, right there, the foundation was laid right there in the garden of these problems that would plague mankind throughout history. Again, not something to be, to be celebrated. 
Eve was tempted by the idea that she would have a greater position. She wanted that, that knowledge, I think, seemed like maybe what pushed her over the edge. She wanted this greater position, and that was one that God did not authorize because he said, don't eat this fruit. And she, she desired that knowledge. And for us, God has made us all equal. And so if, we get, if we're drinking Satan's Kool-Aid, you might say, and fall into that same, same trap, it's like we, we want that. We want to be... God didn't authorize us to be above somebody. He made us equal. And so we can't let Satan fool us using pride that somehow we're better than somebody else. Pride raises up and we can't ignore that fact. We can't live in an alternate reality. We cannot be floating up mentally above everyone else. My ways are higher than your ways. That is, that is reserved for God. But prideful mentality is on display in, in a parable that Jesus gave. He's speaking to uh, prideful people. It says people that trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's along the lines of a prideful person here. It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That is the Savior speaking. That is not up for discussion there. But nobody in their right mind is going to read this and literally do this. I don't think that anybody knowing this passage is going to really go to God in prayer and start trashing someone else. That's going to play out, though, in other ways. More subtly, we do that in other ways. For example, in the way people treat one another, in the way they behave towards others, how they look at other people, how they talk to other people, we're just as guilty of doing this very thing. We may not be on our knees praying to God directly, but we're sure saying that to Him in the way we treat and look at others. But pride just blinds us to all of that. And it, one thing it does blind us to is that God is all-knowing. We don't have to verbally say that for Him to know what's in our hearts. A couple of verses, or a few verses here in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And, that, and the list goes on from there, but notice the first one is a proud look. And a little bit up in that same chapter in verse 5, we're told, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. 
our actions, our mind, our heart. God sees it all. So whether we vocalize this pride or we just live it out, you know, it's all one and the same. He knows if our heart is proud. And this word abomination, I don't think there's a greater, a more powerful word of dis disgust. You know, there's no stronger language than that abomination. And got to thinking, why is pride such an abomination? Why does God frown upon this so heavily? Well, when you think about it, first of all, we serve a jealous God. And he does not tolerate people worshiping idols. But often that idol becomes ourself. We worship ourselves. We, make, we pretend like we're above somebody else. God is jealous. He doesn't, certainly doesn't want somebody acting like they're in his position. What pride does, it distorts some of the, the basic truths of God. He is higher than us. His ways are higher than us. So when we try to put ourselves on a pedestal, we just dis totally discard what he says and who he is we discard. We don't give him the glory. And so it's probably not surprising that he says this is an abomination, whether you say it, think it, do it. Pride is an abomination. So the end result of pride is no mystery. Got three, three verses here in Proverbs that just show what the end result is. Of, of pride is. Proverbs 29 and 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 11 and 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16 and 18, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is doomed, I and mean, it's very clear. There's just three verses. The end result of pride is destruction. It will fail. A, a proud person begins to see everything in life through the lens of selfishness. Like, I am the center of everything. The world revolves around me. All my thoughts, everything I say, that always my own welfare is the center of that. And in light of these verses that the pride Pride will bring low. It comes to my mind the quote, the, the bigger they are, the harder they will fall. And sometimes we see that play out. I mean, if you ever seen somebody that's proud be brought low, it's, it's not pleasant to watch. It's embarrassing for them. But one thing we got to be careful of is that we're not too wise in our own opinions because that pride will often bring us low. For example thought of this example. I've kind of seen this thing in others, but if, if I spend decades of my life promoting a certain opinion, and I tell this to everybody I get in a conversation with, something, something such as, I wouldn't be caught dead driving a Dodge. Now, for disclosure, between my wife, kids, and me, we have four of them, so... If I go through life saying, I wouldn't be caught dead driving a Dodge, those are pieces of junk, and just everybody that I know knows that about me. They attach that opinion to me. Well, what happens if later in life my opinion changes, or maybe that's the only vehicle I can have, or I get some sweetheart deal on it? I may actually make a decision to my own detriment just to serve the opinion, 
just to serve the narrative that I've been preaching all my life because I don't want the embarrassment of pulling up and have to deal with that egg on my face. Like, wait a second. That often happens, though, in the much more important matters, our walk with God. We have this opinion, and we live by that opinion, and we're going to make sure that we preach that opinion to everybody. They, we get tied to that opinion, and that is often our own destruction, our own detriment, because we're, we can't come off of that opinion. So we just have to make sure that what we're preaching and what others identify us as is this word right here, not our own opinions. Some people sadly avoid coming to the church for that very reason. They've just lived their whole lives maybe preaching against the church, and everybody knows it, and they just can't give that idea up, so they will sacrifice their own salvation just to follow the narrative that they've lived by. And that's a, that is a, such a sad thing, but that's, that's how pride works. Proverbs 13 and 10. Proverbs 13 and 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride produces strife. It ha always has and it always will. The world only revolves around one, and that one is God. So if I go out and now the world revolves around me, there you go. There, there's never going to, you're never going to reconcile that. And then when you get multiple parties having a world revolve around them, well, that, that can't exist. There will, pride will always produce fighting. It will always produce division. As members of this body, if we shun this wisdom, if we are not well advised and become prideful, what is going to happen? Well, we are going to reap contention. We are going to have strife. We're going to have division. That's how pride works. That is the nature of it. And that is why we cannot have pride. Pride functions in a number of ways, but really... I guess in my mind, there's two things that happen. Either one, you're lowering somebody else. You are, I find some faults in you. You are not as good as I am, or you're just not as important for some reason. You're lower than me. Or the flip side, for some reason, I'm better than you. And pride will make either of those or maybe both of those, those work if, if it gets a hold of us. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. James 2, starting in verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and we have respect to him that wears the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, uh, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye then not partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts. So here we have a literal example where poor and a rich man come in and someone literally says, stand over there or sit here at my feet. And again, I don't think anybody in their right mind that has read this is literally going to do that. I mean, it's possible, but are we really going to say here, sit at my footstool? We may not do that, but the behavior, the way we look on that, we may be putting them mentally at our feet. 
And, and what is happening here is, in this context, is somebody that obviously needs help. It says somebody that's poor, um, a poor man in vile raiment, that person needs some lifting up. And rather than taking the opportunity to lift them up, we f unnecessarily feed a man's ego. Hey, this rich man didn't need that. And so that is just wrong in, in so many ways. But we've got to be careful that we aren't subtly putting people, hey, sit here at my footstool. That's how pride works. I need to lower you some way. That's how pride plays out. Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach me, reproach thee fell on me. So the message of Christ is very clear. Christ, who, who was perfect, who deserved the glorification, he didn't, he didn't operate by putting people down. He did quite the opposite. He made himself as humble as possible and he lifted people up. Now, me as a Christian, I'm wearing that title, Christ. How do I operate? Am I lifting people up like Christ did? Or am I saying, hey, sit here at my footstool? Pride will always focus, my pride will always focus on me. That's what it seeks to serve. Pride will never focus on you. And so you may literally tell somebody, sit here, or you may not literally tell somebody, sit here at my footstool, but you certainly may do that with the way you mentally think of them. And we see how pride acted with, as Jesus mingled with the, the people of the land, these people that, like the Pharisees, you know, like how can you lower yourself to that? We see their attitude as he went and approached these people and talked with the footstool people. That's how Christ operated. And you see that on display there where the prideful people, you know, I can't believe he would sink to that level. But it doesn't take a miracle to lift somebody up. Uh, but we can do something, you know, we can't do the miracles of Jesus, but we can do something exactly like Jesus did, and that is to share the Word of God with others. What is the greatest way to edify somebody? Well, it's to use the Word of God. That's the greatest way to edify somebody. What is a way, or perhaps maybe the worst way, to break somebody down? Well, it's to misuse the Word of God. Out of all the treasures we've been given, we've been given God's own word. How do we use that? By God's design, we know that His word, word is perfect and His word is a pathway to life. But what happens is pride interjects itself, gets us to twist it up, and we can end up making His word a perverted version of that goes out to others and it can actually turn into a road to destruction if we interject our pride into His Word. It takes our knowledge of scriptures and uses them to bring others low. And that, that's a, that is an abomination. That is a very disgraceful thing. 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2 says this, Now as touching things offered unto idols, 
We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. And then verses 11 and 12, And though thy knowledge shall, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. That sounds pretty serious there. You sin against Christ when you do this thing. Well, what's going on here? In the context of this verse, you have somebody that is eating this meat that's been offered to an idol, and they have the knowledge of that. And rather than help this person, properly educate this person, they just kind of take the attitude, well, I mean, I know what I'm doing. I'm not, there's no concern for this person over here. By knowledge, I'm puffed up, and I'm not too concerned with whether they know what's right or wrong. If they eat it to their own uh, damnation, well, so be it, because uh, I know what's, what's right. And there may be examples of that in our life where we just kind of take that attitude. I've got the knowledge of God. They don't. Therefore, I'm, I'm higher than them. They're lower than me. When I hear this word puffer, the very first thing that came to mind is a puffer fish. You know, this fish kind of looks harmless when he's not puffed up. And I think there's a parallel here with someone that is puffed up because this fish, uh, well, from what I understand, this is kind of a clumsy, slow fish. And to protect itself, it puffs itself up. And so when this thing puffs itself up, it's the same fish. It's, no, it's the same thing. But now he goes from this harmless thing to this like ugly-looking monster thing. And there's a parallel there with our life. Like We're kind of clumsy as we go through, through life. And what we want to do sometimes is just puff ourselves up. And in the context of that verse there that we read in 1 Corinthians, Eight, we can do that with knowledge that I'm this, this person, I have the knowledge, and I don't care if you don't have that knowledge, you know, so be it if you do, or I'm going to weaponize that knowledge, whatever the case. And I got to think that God probably sees this hideous beast when we're puffed up with knowledge, because the knowledge He gives us is meant to be shared and to educate others. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But continue thou in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." Yes, there will be times when correction is necessary, when we have to correct somebody, and that's not, not pleasant. But that correction can never come at their expense and to, to tear them down, to make them feel lower. It's correcting them to help them out in the Word of God and their walk uh, with Jesus Christ. It should never be, but so often it is when we correct somebody it often becomes we're correcting them in our opinion, not correcting them in the scripture. And that's where the difference between pride and humility come in when we're correcting somebody. If there is ever an important time to be humble, 
if there is ever a time to consider where our mind is, whose ways are the highest, would it not be in those times when we're correcting or instructing somebody? Because that's, Satan wants us to interject our think-sos when we're instructing or correcting somebody. Because when we do, that's where you get the division and you, you end up correcting somebody with the wrong uh, state of mind as if your ways are higher instead of God's ways are higher. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to, his, which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That's a whole litany of things there that happen. Why? Because men are teaching otherwise and they're proud. And it says there in verse 4, he is proud knowing nothing. Now that is, is humbling. Can, can you possibly bring somebody lower in the big scheme of things? Can you bring someone lower than to lead them astray or to misrepresent the truth? Is there any greater way to bring somebody low than that? So while we may, one way pride works is to lower people. Another way is to elevate ourselves, maybe to the point where we can't admit fault. You know, we already looked at the example of the Pharisee and publican. And Jesus says that the publican was more justified because he recognized his sins. And he also recognized not just that he did him, but he recognized that he needed forgiveness. And that's why he was humble. Pride not only produces strife, as we've, we've already established, but it doesn't just bring about strife, it maintains it. And pride will keep strife and disputes going until somebody stops it. It's, you know, it's not going to end. Let's take an argument, for example. Get in a dispute with somebody. Two people get in an argument. If that argument is not settled quickly, there's a high risk there for pride to come into the equation. And once that does, time goes on, pride just draws the two people further and farther apart until there's this great gulf between the two sides. Does that just magically, the gulf just magically disappear and the two are reconciled? No. Both people are in this position, I'm right and they're wrong. My way is higher than their way. This separation is going to continue until one or both of those parties considers maybe I wasn't right in that situation or at least maybe I didn't or at least asking maybe I didn't handle it as best as I could. Remember we're trying supposed to with all of our being attempt to live peaceably with all men. Did I really do that? Did Maybe I still feel like I'm not really wrong, but maybe I didn't do everything in my power to reconcile with that person, to bring about peace. And you see that golf is going to just live on until one or both of those parties 
uh, at least start asking those questions, start examining themselves. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there will be times where we are completely innocent. We may be a innocent bystander. We may have been victimized. Those times are going to happen. But if we go through life and, we're look, and we look at ourselves honestly and we say that we're, or we think that we're never wrong, I'm never wrong, I've never been wrong, there's a, that's a red flag. That's pride. Because as we, we read here, and this is not opinion, this is fact, for all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. So if we have trouble admitting fault, that's a serious trouble because that's associated with pride. And there, these verses here really are an answer for pride, a treatment for pride, because they do not, first of all, number one, they call out that all have sinned. They make that very clear. Everybody has sinned, so don't let yourself believe you haven't sinned. Everybody sins and comes short of the glory of God. But what this, this passage or verse 24 also does is number two, kind of says the solution, God's gift of grace and redemption in Christ Jesus, that's a free gift. So it's not, pride doesn't have to go on forever. Our, our, our sins don't just have to be there. There is a way to come out of that. And God gives us the solution. He recognizes, he knows that we all sin, but he gives us a way to come out of that. So if we say that we haven't sinned, then uh, we deceive ourselves as we, we read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, which say this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. And James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just I thought it was curious to note the, the, the examples of verbalizing, say that we have no sin, say that we have not sinned, versus confessing our sins and confessing our faults. It's not fun to admit fault. I mean, who likes to... To, to admit that we were wrong. I mean, that's not a, a pleasant thing to do. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. It makes you, can make you feel weak and vulnerable when you have to say, it was my fault. Um, it's on me. That's not pleasant. But if we can't, if we really can't come to that point, not only do we make God a liar, which is bad enough, I mean, what was the point of Jesus Christ dying on the cross? What was the point of him paying for our sins if we somehow think that we don't sin? It just, pride, it just destroys the whole process of, of uh, confession and forgiveness and ultimate reconciliation. And that's true to God and to others. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Matthew 18, starting in 21, then Peter came to him, and this is to Jesus. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. When you withhold forgiveness, 
what you have to do to hang on, I'm not going to forgive them. You have to overlook the fact that you've been forgiven of everything. You have to ignore that. When you appreciate forgiveness, you give it quickly because you know that you need it yourself. And that's kind of interesting how that works. You know, you're quick, you're quicker to forgive when you really live and understand that I've been forgiven. I need to freely offer that. Seven times 70, 490 acts of forgiveness. And Luke's account of that, it's, it's uh, described as in a day. If somebody, this forgiveness 490 times in a day. And, it, and I can't help but thinking that we sin, we forgive, we confess. All that's this cycle that goes on and on of of because we're all human. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. So you have this cycle that works, this forgiveness, reconciliation cycle, but then pride, once it comes in, that whole process just hits a brick wall. And that's a, that's a shame that that happens. We, and pride will, for some reason, pride almost makes it harder to forgive somebody. Like, like, that's my forgiveness to give. I'm not going to forgive them. You know, once they do X, Y, and Z, then I'll, I'll think about forgiving them. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to forgive them. And so with all that being said, you know, it's no wonder that divisions happen, why they so quickly happen, and why they never get resolved. Because pride is just that big of an evil, and it's that strong if we allow it to be. So you know, some grudges go on short-lived, but others go on a long time. Sadly, some to the grave because pride came in there and that forgiveness cycle, pride just shut the door. Well, who let that happen? Well, it was us. Pride shut the door on forgiveness and both parties just sat there and may have sat there for decades, even to the grave and say, well, I'm okay with letting pride win. And that's, that is such a shame because we have this free forgiveness from God. Why are we withholding that from somebody else? What happens if your life ends and you have this grudge? Well, the grudge, it's not forgiven. You went to the grave and you didn't give that forgiveness to somebody. And we know the verse, you know, Jesus says, what does he say about forgiveness? You won't be forgiven unless you can forgive. That's a, that's a very humbling thought to think that you're going to have to face the Savior knowing that you went to the grave didn't doing this very simple thing that he asked you to do. You know, he forgave us of all this, but you refused and you took it to the grave. Why not just settle that dispute? Don't let pride win that, that battle. We take a, a basic, one of the basic fundamentals of Christianity, forgiveness. Seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. We take that very simple principle and we turn it into this thing that's a, a struggle, a, a trial and tribulation to forgive somebody. Don't let, don't let pride do that. Don't let pride compromise your relationship with God. James 4 and 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Don't make God resist you because of pride. You know what that resist is? Oppose you. Don't put yourself 
in a position of opposition to God just because you're too proud to forgive somebody. Matthew 16 and 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The Savior says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. How can you deny yourself when your life is all about you? I'll leave that question and close our thoughts this morning. Just don't let yourself be separated from God because of pride. If there be anybody in our midst that has, that has heard the gospel, plan of salvation, and you've been sufficiently taught and you understand baptism, you know what it is, and you know that you should do it, make that decision today. There's water behind us. Don't be the only thing that hinders you from obeying the gospel, and that's yourself. Don't be that hindrance. In the same way, if you've already taken that step, and you need the prayers of the church, maybe you know that you're standing in opposition to God or you're struggling with something. Again, don't be that hindrance. We're here to help you. We'd be glad to go to prayer on your behalf. If you be of either case, please come forward while we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647-2658. May God bless you.